0: Good morning. As you, I'm sure, know by now, our text is Psalm 46. That can be found on page 471. Picked up in ESV in the back. But before we uh, read the text, let's go again in prayer to our God. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, you are our rock and our redeemer, as we've sung this morning. Father, show us uh, through your word uh, how strong and how mighty you are, and then through this word assure us of your strength and of our salvation. And Father, teach us this morning also our response to you. How should we respond to your greatness and your strength? So Father, open our hearts, open our minds, that we can just hear you clearly this morning. So Father, we thank you. And we love you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, to the hearing of his word. Now, the Psalms are are something quite different uh, than we've been in. We've been working through Luke, if you've been here with us for a while, uh, and so we're a little used to narratives, so thank you for for switching gears with me this morning and looking at uh, a different genre. The Psalms are are wonderful, uh, if difficult sometimes, but to to read through, to study through, Um, and the Psalms present really a different picture of of life in the Old Testament. It's a different picture of the experience of, of the writers of the Psalms. And so we know that there are are psalms of praise, and there are psalms of reflection, and there are psalms of of lament, and there are psalms that focus on the coming of the Messiah. Uh, So this morning, uh, our psalm is is one of praise. It's one of praise, but it's it's based on reflection. It's looking back at what God has done uh, in the life of the writer and in the life of Israel, and, and he's praising God for remembering what has happened. And it's also all in the context of war. The psalmist is, is noticing that the nations around, uh, the nations in Israel are, uh, are waging war. And so uh, we have to keep that context in mind uh, as we go. Now, a few of us have, have been to a war. Some of us have, but a few of us have. And a few of us understand uh, the fear that comes with being in war. That's not an experience most of us have. So it may be more common, as, as we read in, in the song that some of us have felt the fear of, of a natural disaster. Um, perhaps uh, an earthquake or a flood has ruined our home, or a hailstone uh, has damaged our car, or uh, we've gotten in a car accident because of a blizzard. That fear is something that we do experience in the blizzard here in New England quite often. Um, but where do we turn uh, in, times of this, in in these times of fear? Uh, and it can be hard to look at this Old Testament uh, psalm and think, "How this is not my experience, I don't have the same experience. How does this relate to me? But I want to uh, share this psalm with you this morning, uh, because this is, uh, this is the psalm that, that led me to really understand the reality of Scripture and how Scripture does, uh, does relate now and here to our lives Um, And I saw this when I was on a mission trip to Zambia in the summer of 2010. Uh, And so as I traveled to Africa, I I felt convicted that I hadn't been memorizing Scripture. So I set out to memorize some of the Psalms, and and number 46 was among them. So after uh, arriving in Zambia a few weeks, uh, I'd been there for a bit, and we traveled up to the northernmost point in Zambia which borders on Lake Tanganyika. Now, if you don't know Lake Tanganyika, it's a long, skinny lake. It's about 700 kilometers north to south. Second biggest lake in the world. And on the Zambian side, uh, there are mountains that surround the lake. So it's this kind of this big cavern that that drains down into the lake. And we were going to visit a village uh, that borders the lake. Now, when I say village in Africa, I think no running water, no electricity, stone and mud huts and straw roofs and and that sort of a village. But of course there's a cell phone. There's the one guy that has two squares of a solar panel to charge the cell phone in case there was a really bad emergency. Uh, They could call someone. (laughs) So uh, we get to the the town closest to this village and we we get on a boat with a a guy that's taking us out to the village and uh, he's explaining some different things along the way and we we passed another smaller village that we weren't visiting, he points out a rock slide that had happened, and he explained that during the rainy season, uh, some water had, had stored up in the mountains and hadn't drained properly. Now, this is a good rainy season. It's, it's good because it had attracted more fish, and uh, the people are so dependent on the lake and, and fishing for their livelihood. They, they eat from the lake, they, they drink the water from the lake, they wash their clothes in the lake, they bathe themselves in the lake. So the rainy season is, is vitally important but the rainy season hadn't drained properly around the mountains, and it caused a rock slide. In the middle of the night, no less, so these uh, people were in their homes, their huts, and uh, the rock slide had come and, and crushed uh, two homes, and seven people had, had died in this rock slide. And after that, our, our guide explains to us that no, no one in that village would sleep in their homes anymore. They were so terrified, because they knew that if we had not been in our homes and hadn't had to, to get out, we could have perhaps run away Uh, from this rock slide and and survived. And there, quite literally, is a mountain moved into the heart of the sea. These people uh, of that village, they, they didn't know God. They were terrified, so they began sleeping outside, which leaves them vulnerable to What little sanitation that they did have was gone. They were vulnerable to to mosquitoes and where they could contract malaria. Their their food was kept outside, so more bugs and and animals would be attracted to it. And they were just kind of living in constant fear. And then I read Psalm 46. And there it is. They did not know that God was their rock and their security. And so, this is the psalm that led me to really understand that, that the psalms do... Speak to our lust. Now, that's that's an extreme circumstance. We don't often deal with that um, here. We don't have mountains around us that are going to cause rock slides and and crush us. We are grateful for that because this is a reality. Um, This is a reality for people that that I know. But there are a couple things I want us to see from this song first. um, So, first, uh, God secures us. We're secure because God is active. He's not just a passive strength and refuge. He secures us actively. And second, God assures us. He assures us of our salvation because he provides for us and he dwells with us. And then finally, I want us to consider our response to this. So what do we do once we understand that God has secured us and then assured us? So look again with me at our passage. The first stanza of this psalm back in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. No, this is language we don't use very often. We don't talk about a, a present help. What does that mean? Um, I think the idea is the idea here is that he's he's not just present, um, not just with us, but he has proven himself to be uh, our help and our strength. He's with us and he's active. The psalmist isn't saying that. Uh, he hopes that God will be our strength and refuge Or God appears to be our strength and our refuge The psalmist is praising God because he's reflecting on what God has done Because God has proved himself to be our help and our refuge So when I use that word proof, proof can strike up some uh, disagreements sometimes uh, So how, how does God prove himself? How has God proved himself? To be our refuge and strength. And it's, it's here that, again, we have to remember this is a reflection. Uh, we do see some of this in verses 7 and 8. So if you turn to 7 and 8 and look. The Lord of the hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. The psalmist is reflecting on what God has already done done. And the Lord is rightly to be praised for this. He does make wars to cease. And he ought to be praised for that. He ought to be praised for uh, providing for us, too, for giving us food and shelter and money and homes and all of these great and wonderful things. We ought to see that God provides those for us. And he also ought to be praised for providing a sense of comfort and community, and that's uh, part of the great Joy of being here with the fellowship of believers is having that sense of comfort and community that God gives us in His church. No, perhaps not everyone believes this. Not everyone sees this active God working in our lives, providing for us. Uh, we may have moments, or even extended seasons uh, of doubt, and so I, I know that some of us here are dealing with those seasons, those those moments. We don't see him actively working in our lives. And so we may be sitting in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of turmoil, and wondering where is God? Where is our strength? Where is our refuge? And this is, again, we have to turn to verse 8 where he says, Come behold the works of the Lord. God calls, him, calls us to himself to observe what he's doing. Come and see what God is doing in your life. God, the very active refuge, the very active strength is working. So pray. If you don't see it, pray and ask him for eyes to see his action. Pray for eyes uh, that see in the midst of that storm. It's hard to see when that storm is beating down on you. But pray that you might see. And pray for clarity. Pray that you might understand his purpose in the situation. And also pray that he would resolve that situation. It might not be how we expect or how we want, but pray that he would resolve it. Reflect on what he's done. Reflect on what he may do in the future. And we'll see that God is our refuge. God is our strength. And then the psalmist himself gives us another piece of application next. He says, therefore we will not fear. You all, I'm sure, know this. That is one of the most... Uh, ...repeated commands in Scripture, don't be afraid, don't fear. Therefore, we will not fear. Because what, of, because what God has done, what He is doing, God has proved Himself. People in Zambia were totally without that hope. Totally uh, without God, driven by fear. So if you're a believer, if you belong to the Lord, we have hope and we have a strong Savior. Don't be without that hope that God offers. And if you're not a believer, I encourage you, please consider that God is working in your life and that God desperately wants a relationship with you. So don't fear. Whatever circumstances you find yourselves in, even if a mountain is being toppled into the heart of the sea, we should not fear because God is active and working to be our refuge, to be our strength. We should not fear because God has secured us. And this is here, I think, leads us right into the next stanza. We ought not fear, and more than that, we ought to be assured. He actively works to secure us, and once we're secured, he gathers us gathers us to himself, assuring us that we're safe. So look with me again at verses four and five. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Now this image of the river is one of the more debated things in this psalm. What is it? What does the psalmist have in mind when he's talking about this river? Uh, some would say this harkens back to Eden. This harkens back to the creation story. That's one of the, the prevalent thoughts here. And certainly God does in creation makes four rivers that, that spread out from the garden And then God proclaims his creation good, and so certainly that is a possibility. But we have to remember that I think the psalm is in context of war. Creation is not a war story. It's a story of God's love and creation. But here in the psalm, I think it's war, so I think it makes more sense that in the context of war in a fortress, that this river is God's provision for us. Because if you are secured and you're in the fortress... And you're surrounded by these nations that are causing war. What do you need when you're besieged like that? When you're caught in a fortress, you need food, and you need weapons, and you need water, right, to survive this siege. So this river really, I think, is God's provision for his people. So he secures us, and then he provides for us. This river brings joy to the city of God. Not because it's just uh, water, but it's where God dwells with us. God is our strength and and actively our refuge. He's actively supplying our needs. We're able to look to this river and see his provision. The language here in this stanza is also temple language. We get to the the part where it says the holy habitation of the Most High. This is uh, most certainly referencing the temple. I think... The holy habitation, the holy dwelling, the holy place, or the most holy place of the temple. Where we see God dwelling with his people. And I'm sure you you know the story of the scene where uh, the glory cloud descends on the temple. This is what this is referencing. It's God dwelling with his people. In our moments of of weakness, in our moments of insecurity and, and doubts and confusion... God is active, and and in pursuing us and securing us, he supplies our needs, and then he provides us with our ultimate need, which is himself. God gives us himself, and he comes and dwells with us. And in dwelling with us, the psalmist then tells us that God is in the midst of her. He's in the midst of his people, in the midst of his city, and he's in the midst of his temple. And John's gospel now tells us that That the word became flesh and and dwelt among us. And this is, I think, the pattern that the psalmist is observing. It's just the way God operates. We are in need of saving, and then God descends to dwell with his people and offer salvation to them. And this is seen most clearly uh, in the person of Christ. Jesus walked in the midst of us. He dwelt with us. He suffered with us. He lived through the chaos and the turmoil of this life. His active work of salvation and in in that work He is our strength and He is our refuge. And so often we can tend to view God as passive. We think of a fortress as a passive place where we're secured in this fortress and we are just safe and nothing is happening. And we can often tend to think of the work of Christ this way, that it's a a one-time event. And sure, the, the resurrection and the death and the burial of Christ was a one-time event, but God has not stopped working in our lives since that moment. And so we think that with this, this one-time event, this passive knowledge, there's something we can do, some work we have to do to get to salvation, but there is nothing we can do. It is God who draws us to himself and then gives us himself. And he works to be our salvation and our security. And if you don't see this aspect of our salvation, I think the psalmist then again returns to war. God has secured us. Christ secures his disciples. But when morning dawns, and now back in verse 5, when morning dawns, God is in our midst. When morning dawns, he will help us. What happens in morning? If you're in a fortress, what happens in the morning? Battles don't happen at night. Sure, they do. We have technology now and we're capable of doing things like that, but you can't see at night. So in in morning, the attack happens. That fear and that chaos happen uh, in the morning. Once we're secured, isn't that the the only time you can attack now? So the attack happens in the morning, and when morning dawns, God is with us. And I think the disciples experienced this of security, this kind of safety firsthand. They're going across the sea and a storm comes up, and what's Jesus doing? He's napping in the bottom of the boat, right? The storm comes up and they are afraid that they're gonna die. And so they go and they wake Christ up and they're terrified. And uh, what does he do? He goes to the, goes out and he rebukes the wind and he rebukes the storm and it's still. Peace be still. Verse 6 of our psalm. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. God is active in saving us. And he is so strong that with a single word he can still the tempest around us. What better assurance do we need than to know that God can with a single word save us. God of Jacob is our fortress. It is in his fortress that we find assurance in dwelling with him and believing that we need a Savior and accepting God as our Savior through the life and death and resurrection of Christ we can be assured that God is our refuge and our strength. So we've seen now how God secures us and then he assures us again. And Finally we have to turn now to the last stanza. To consider our response, I think it's this, God is to be glorified. That's our response. But there's a, a little bit of a shift in voice in this final stanza. Uh, the psalmist begins, as we've talked about previously, the psalmist begins by calling us to behold what the Lord has done. Come, he says in verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes War is to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. In other words, as strong as your army might be, God is stronger. Whatever weapons you can wield against each other, God can stop them. But then I think God turns to call the unbeliever. In the previous two stanzas, we've seen the psalmist kind of speaking and reflecting and and calling us to remember and, and calling us to glory, uh, Calling us to glorify God, but there's a we shift from that second person that speaking that almost conversation to now there's a first person, and if you have the ESV, our, our editors insert quotations in verse ten. The quotations we know are not original to Hebrew, but it's uh, it's first person now. It's I language. It's not it's not you and let us, and it's I. It's first person. He says, "Be still." And know that I am God. If we had any doubt of his strength, if we had any doubt that God is able to secure us and able to assure us of that salvation, then he simply just says, Be stop, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. He then moves to display that, not, not to the believers, we are already secured, we're already assured. He's saying this to the unbelievers. So let's pause and worship this great, all-powerful God who can stop wars, who can, with a single word, still that storm around us. This word, be still, is important for us to understand what this is. The sense of, of this word is, is very much driven by the, the context, by this war-like nature that's going on. Be still. Put your weapon down. Listen to me. Now, if you've seen The Princess Bride, there's a scene at the end where Wesley is holding his sword out to the evil prince and he says, Drop your sword. The prince is terrified. He drops the sword. He sits down. That's the sense here. God is saying, Drop your sword and pay attention to me. Pay attention to the only thing that matters. Pay attention to your God. And he speaks all of this to unbelievers. And this is where I think we need to join him. We need to join God in exalting himself to the world. We ought to enter into evangelism. We ought to enter into missions. And we know here at Redeemer, we give a great deal of our our budget to missions, and that's wonderful. That is a fantastic thing, and we ought to glorify God that he has given us the means to do that. (laughs) What a wonderful gift uh, that he's given us to be able to then use to further his kingdom. That's wonderful. But we can't stop there. We have to be sharing the gospel. That has to be our response to our security and to our assurance. We have to join him in exalting him in the earth. We have to be like the deaf and mute man in Mark 7. So turn with me, if you will, to Mark 7, verse 32. So on page 843, if you have to (laughs) Mark 7, beginning in verse... 32. And they brought to him, they brought to Jesus, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, A fast foot, that is, be open. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, Jesus says, don't tell anyone. That is That happens sometimes, and I think that happens because Jesus has the authority and, and the knowledge to know when and how he should be presented as the Christ. He tells them not to. The more he tells them not to, the more they do it, right? The, as they see Jesus' as salvation, they see his work in their life, the man who is mute and deaf and the people around him that are brought into him, to him they, their only response is, share the gospel. I have to go and tell people. That's the response. Now, I know that is not always the easiest place to do this. New England is often uh, very contrary to the gospel. They don't often, uh, the culture here is very intellectual. It's very difficult to have a spiritual conversation. Uh, just uh, yesterday I was actually doing part of the Freedom Trail and our guide, uh, we were taking a walking tour, a guide on the Freedom Trail, mentioned something negative about the Puritans and then I asked a question and then, we had a little conversation. I I'm in school, I'm at Gordon-Conwell, and just nothing. That was the end of the conversation. That's all I had to say. So things like that do happen. It's a difficult place to share the gospel here. This place where, where the first Puritans, the first settlers here, sought uh, a place where they could worship God as they understood the scriptures. New England's been under attack by the enemy for centuries. This place that was settled with, with the idea that you know, we just want to worship God. We want a place, a, a city on a hill where we can worship God as we want. And now the, the attacks of the enemies over the centuries has, has so skewed this area's understanding of the gospel that uh, it ought to make every believer in New England weep. It ought to make us jump out of our chairs with passion to share the gospel with those around us. So how do we do this? This is admittedly a very scary thing. We could face the loss of our jobs, the loss of our friendships. We could be ridiculed, possibly even sued, or even physically assaulted for doing this. It's a scary thing. But do not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. God is our refuge and our strength. Do not fear, because if you belong to the Lord, he has secured you, and we have assurance of that salvation. So let's follow God and go and speak to those who don't believe. Now I moved here about three years ago. And one of the first things I did, I had to figure out where to buy groceries and then figure out where to get a haircut. <laughs> now a lot of us don't get out and get to interact with with many people. We, we work or we work from home or uh, we're in different stages of school and we don't have a lot of interaction with non-believers perhaps. But I think we all go to the store and we all need haircuts sometimes. <laughs> so what would, what would happen if you know, each week you're at the grocery store, you made a point of going through the same line, talk to the same grocery clerk, and just say, hey, how are you doing? And ask, and listen, and build a relationship with them. We are getting your haircut, and you're kind of a captive audience to each other at that point. <laughs> that When you're getting a haircut, ask how you're doing. Over the months, over the years, if it takes Build a relationship with them A relationship where they'd be open to hearing the gospel If you're scared, don't fear Pray for the opportunity to share your faith Pray for the opportunity to to share the gospel With your grocery store clerk or your stylist Show them that you care about them We see in Christ, we see this That he was full of love and compassion For those who were sick and in need of a savior so love and have compassion for the grocery store clerk, the barber. And if you don't have that passion or desire, pray for that desire. I'm pretty sure that's one. You'll get a yes on that one. Pray for that. So don't fear. If you belong to God, do not fear, because he is your refuge. He's your strength. And rejoice, because he has assured you of your salvation. So let's go out from here together and proclaim the Lord on the earth. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for being our rock, our strength, our refuge, our fortress. Thank you. Thank you for securing us. Father, thank you for providing our needs. Thank you for giving us things we need on a day-to-day basis. Thank you for giving us yourself. And Father, I can't even begin to describe how humbling it is to consider that that the God of the universe would consider us. So, Father, help us to join you in proclaiming your name in all the earth. As we go out from here on Sunday afternoon, help us to consider how we could spread your name, spread your glory in the earth. Teach us not to fear. and Teach us to love you all the more. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.